It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with the award-winning journalists covering the East End for a deeper dive into the week's headlines. I am Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com, and also the magazine Express Magazine. And my co-host is Bill Sutton, who's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Terrific panel, as always, this week. We have David Rattray, who's the editor of the East Hampton Star. Hey, David, good to have you. Good morning, Joe. Bill, how are you? Thanks for joining us. We have Michael Mackey, who's the host of uh, Long Island Morning Edition right here on WLIWFM. Michael, thank you for sharing the airwaves with us today. My pleasure. Good morning, folks. Happy to have you. And we have Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning. Okay, so... Let's let's get let's get all gubernatorial right up front. <laughs> it's one of my favorite words, by the way. Uh, so, do we believe the polls? Uh, the polls suggest that the race is tightening and that Kathy Hochul's lead over our own Lee Zeldin uh, is is now down to single digits, and in at least one poll, I believe it was as low as four percent. Uh, do we believe which, those which polls? is which is what which is margin of error? So yeah, I mean, that's like almost a dead heat. I mean, Bill, well, I know I think, you've been saying all along. I, de, de, Denise, Denise and I have both been saying for for a long time that you know anything's possible, and and you never know, and and you've got to take into account upstate and western New York, and I think the whole. Um, crime you know the, the the crime thing resonates with people the economy resonates with people um but what it comes down to is is who's going to show up on uh, on election day and, and in early voting who's going to vote i've um, been saying and- that uh, absolutely bill like I, I feel like kathy hochel is a very unexciting candidate i just you know she's got cuomo baggage <laughs> she's yeah. got her own baggage and um, I don't think she's going to excite the base, you know, the Democratic, the traditional Democratic, progressive Democratic base. And I think that to the extent that Zeldin can sort of um, duck his previous, you know, Life Begins at Conception Act sponsorship mm. uh, and things of that nature, I think that he uh, he can get those centrist voters um, that everybody sort of wrote him off about with, you know, like the Pataki coalition kind of, uh, you know, last time a Republican governor um, got elected in New York. I just, I feel like he's got a real shot and I think anything can happen in this race. I, I, I agree with the idea that he has a real shot in particular because um, I think that polling in midterm elections tends to be slightly more reliable than uh, in hmm. the the high voltage presidential year where you get a lot of turnout by people who are not reachable by traditional poll methods. Uh So um, more likely voters are incrementally going to be tapped in midterm polling than, than a presidential year. Um, And, you know, the thing is really interesting is, is the, 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 the crime thing that Lee Zeldin has been pushing relentlessly is, is really part of a, a national, uh, particularly in the Senate and, and, and House races. They've, you know, the Republican um, message machine has been focused on crime to an extraordinary level. Yeah. And, um, you know, Lee Zeldin's advertising, public statements really have been in keeping with that. Um, 
his email messages have all been about save New York from from um, you know this bloodbath that that will ensue if Kathy Hochul is you know elected to serve a full term. Um, and I think that's pretty resonant with people who are likely to vote in a midterm election. Uh, you, you know what's particularly interesting, David, is I think it's resonant right now to folks in New York City uh, with some of the things that have been going on there. And, and Eric Adams has struggled a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, in his term as mayor, especially in dealing with the crime. And that might be a factor that, that could help swing things. But Michael, I, you know, I am on record as saying, I don't think it's going to be as close. And, and I, David's point about the polling at the midterms being more accurate is a really interesting one, but it's been all over the place too. I mean, it's, it was as high as 17 points, I think, uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, is it, is, if we take the polls as, accurate. Do you think there's been enough movement that it's closed that kind of a gap? It feels like it has to me. It's trending very close. The, uh, the, there was a money gap in uh, political uh, support and advertising and other marketing for Hochul that I think has been made up. The New York Post endorsed uh, Congressman Zeldin for governor and they're providing him with virtual free publicity and support. Every yeah. day there's a story in the Post uh, trashing Hochul and, and boosting Zeldin. I don't know how much you would pay for that if you had to. So if he gets that 30% plus of, of the vote in uh, New York City, that's the number. Because he's getting votes uh, elsewhere. We know right here in Suffolk County, he's going to win the first congressional district as far as the voting in on the in eastern suffolk and western suffolk i think it's very very close it feels like 1994 to me and uh, absent a huge turnout by democratic voters in new york state he'll be our next governor how do you uh, how do the, the democratic party energize their voters to get out and vote and turn out and uh, and vote for governor hochul i'm not sure about that I don't know that she's not exciting. I don't think Zeldin's particularly charismatic or exciting either, but it's pretty exciting for people to vote against crime. And as David yeah. pointed out, there's a perception that uh, it's all mayhem in the streets of New York. I watch a channel, uh, the Seven Eyewitness News, first thing in the morning, or Channel 4 or Channel 2, and uh, the, the lead story invariably every day is about somebody getting slashed or shot. So it, it's the perception is that it's even though the city's probably safer than it was back when I walked the streets in the 70s, the perception is that the Democrats have let things grow, run out of control, cashless bail. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? We better vote for uh, uh, Zeldin as uh, as governor and he can uh, put his MAGA agenda to uh, forth and uh, save New York State. May sound absurd to some people, but to a lot of people, it's the answer. And if the Democrats don't turn out, the Republican uh, uh, candidate for governor will be our next governor. David. Well, I was going to say that, that I'm, I'm glad that Michael brought up cashless bail because that is the, the uh, uh, sort of the code word for bail reform uh, looked at another way. And I think that is also very resonant and taps into some deep seated fears. And fear is really one of the strongest motivators, uh, well, hope and fear uh, to get people off the couch to vote. Oh, and uh, the idea that there is a wave of um, people who are being released from jail to commit additional crimes, you know, whether it's true or not, it doesn't, it doesn't appear to be true. 
uh, in any significant way, I think is very, very motivating. And I don't think necessarily the sort of progressives or, or the center Democrats have anything quite so direct and, and um, fear inspiring. Um, yeah, know, I feel it, like that was that ended up being a pretty big misstep, even though, you know, I think the 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 uh, revision of the bail reform laws was probably necessary, but I think it needs to be readdressed. I think it may have gone a little bit too far. I think I think I think even the Democrats would agree with that Denise. I, I'm curious. The, the two things that I keep thinking about are, I feel like there's a couple of percentage points that's quietly out there waiting for election day, simply on the abortion issue, and that it will energize a certain number of people to vote, uh, that it may not be showing up in the polls. And the second thing is, I almost wonder if some of these news stories suggesting a close race don't end up benefiting Hochul, because it may prompt some folks to come out and vote who weren't going to vote before when it was 17 points, because why bother? I mean, it helps to energize the the Democratic side, too. Are either of those things legit, you think? I, I do. And I think that, but but unfortunately for um, the governor, I don't think the campaign to drive home the consequences of the Roe v. Wade, you know, um, decision, not the Roe v. Wade decision, but you know what I mean, the, the repeal of Roe v. Wade, if you will, and the role of um, the governor in, in any state uh, in, in funding programs or defunding programs that even though we ha- still have legal abortion, there's some real, if you're a pro-choice person, some real damage that can be done by an anti-choice governor in the, with the purse strings. And so I don't think Hochul has capitalized on that very much. I don't know what's coming, but, you know, she did her, you know, Zeldin is too extreme for New York campaign, but I feel like it's been somewhat quiet certainly compared to the constant drumbeat that we've been hearing about this cashless bail nonsense, because that is, in my opinion, exactly what it is. I mean, everything, everyone you talk to, uh, you know, in the political realm is is talking about, you know, everything is the fault of cashless bail in New York, wow. then is the fault of the Democrats and the governor. Um, and that's just, that's baloney. It's just really a lot of baloney. Um, First, I mean, it's a misnomer to begin with, but it's been a very, very effective propaganda campaign. And, um, you know, it, it, it is something that was tweaked by the legislature. They did fix some things that everyone agreed were incorrect about the original program. But, um, you know, other states have adopted programs like this and where, you know, people are not held on minor nonviolent crimes, you know, because they can't post $500 bail or whatever the you know number may be. And other, other states did not have the, the rising crime that we've seen in New York and that indeed we have seen nationally. This is not a New York issue. But Mr. Zeldin and other uh, you know, politicians in New York have very successfully repackaged it that way. And I think that's, you know, if you look at comments on social media, like anytime there's uh, you know, someone arrested, even because nobody reads articles, right? They just comment on the headlines on, on Facebook and such. And, you know, if there's someone arrested for a crime, you're like, oh, you know, I'm sure he he just got right, let right off, right out. Yeah. You know, 
He's right back out on the street. Even if the article says, no, he's been remanded, they've been moved a bail or whatever. So, you know. The subtleties of the thing are being lost. There's no question about that. It's taken on a life of its own, thanks to a very effective uh, publicity and propaganda campaign. Two incredibly coincidental incidents have helped uh, Zeldin's campaign also. Yeah, up in, in uh, Rochester, and then and yeah. then last week in his own uh, neighborhood, and crime is running rampant. I can't even uh, allow my uh, twin sixteen-year-old uh, daughters to be alone at home. A pretty in, uh, interesting thing Island. to happen right on the eve of giving a, a big speech about crime and how crime has been a problem. So yeah, the timing of that, David. I, I'm curious. Uh, you know, the, the Albany Times Union, I saw a piece yesterday that they had done an endorsement interview with Lee Zeldin, and he is now taking the position on abortion where he says, if I'm elected governor, I can't do anything to change the laws, and I don't plan to do anything to change the laws. I think that's a really interesting place for him to be, you know, because he's been so strongly pro-life throughout his entire um, congressional career. Yeah, I think that's, you know, clearly a strategy to try and defuse some of that potential risk from being associated with the MAGA right. Um, You know, and and whether or not he actually has a legislature that could do anything immediately about um, uh, reproductive freedom in state of New York would be a really open question. But I mean, clearly that's on their mind uh, as, a, as a campaign problem, that they want to neutralize the potential turnout among young, younger voters, um, among women, uh, um, from, the, from the left. Um, but, you know, well, this and, is- and the right, too. I, I mean, because I, I think that 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 because of the abortion issue, you're going to see some re- younger Republicans and Republican women, you know, particularly who, who might not vote that line um, this year as, as kind of fallout from from that decision. Although I would I would think that people who are to the far right of that, you know, um, you know, there are certainly people who applaud that, too. But 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 you, you've got to try to catch those voters, too, who are kind of jumping ship a little bit. And, and I've seen some some stories on that. Let me ask you this. Does does Donald Trump's official full throated endorsement of Lee Zeldin help him or hurt him in New York? Well, Joe, that's not news. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Zeldin said. Uh, <laughs> it's does it help him or hurt him? I, I I wonder. I don't think it brought him any more votes because I think it was certainly implied, but it underscores something for people who might have been on the fence. I think. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Zeldin kind of made a name for himself outside of his congressional district by being, you know, a, a Trump um advocate on fox news like you know he was on fox news a lot he was one of uh trump's impeachment defender lawyer you know lawyers and he voted to um not to certify the election results as in congress i mean like i think yeah i think those things are pretty well known i'm not sure i don't know if you caught the article i think it was yesterday in the times in the new york times about um these text messages that he this text message exchange he had with Mark Meadows, like kind of strategizing about how to yeah. not only you know promote that election lie, but also how to capitalize on it financially. <laughs> right. So I mean, 
you know, he he can, as far as I'm concerned, he can try to distance himself from that as much as he'd like to. But I don't think that works if anybody's paying attention for the people who care. Anyway, I, I don't think I don't think that works at all. But David, I think I it think works. It wor- uh, yeah. It's it's working for him. He's yeah. the Trump support. He can't not accept Trump's support. Right. He'll accept whatever money is generated from Trump's support. And uh, Trump's uh, uh, endorsement reminds people uh, that are uh, vehemently pro-Trump to get out there and vote. If for nothing else, to vote for Zeldin, my man. Exactly. And so he doesn't. He, and, and how many people are going to go out and vote against Zeldin because of Trump's endorsement? I, my feeling is that that Zeldin and the Republicans have successfully closed this race so that it's really tight. They've diffused the pro-choice versus pro-life issue because Zeldin and Republicans are saying, look, there's nothing we can do about that issue anyway, and we don't plan to. So let's uh, disregard it and not talk about it. And there, uh, and I don't get the impression that it may be a big issue in other states, but how many people are going to turn out? How many feminists, how many pro-choice people are going to go out of their way to vote this November because uh, Zeldin might uh, be against uh, abortion and, and might try to legislate changes in New York state law? I'm not getting that feeling. It just doesn't. No, no I, but I, I'm not but getting that absolutely impression. Is against abortion. I mean, uh, you know, he sponsored two uh, laws in Congress that didn't go anywhere that were pointedly anti, anti-choice. And um you're right, but, is it going to, but are people going to respond to that? Do they? Is it, is I, it, I, I get people out to vote. I, I don't think people are going to come out to vote in in that race because of that. But but I think there's certainly a, a going to be yeah. a get out the vote movement of of people, um, you know, who were upset about the decision. That you know, the the Democrat liberal base that 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 I mean, I I, I think you know the headlines have slowed down on on yeah. that bit, but I think it's certainly you know energized and and motivated um, you know progressives to get out and 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 vote this November, and I, I think in the next month you'll hear a lot more about it um, simply because of that. And, and if the decision had been rendered last week, I think it would have energized people to go out and vote accordingly. I get the impression that it's a little yeah. bit tired it's late, now. Yeah. It's, 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 right. The timing was was premature as far as the, what's in yeah, the best interest of the Democratic Party. And, and talk about timing. I mean, uh, uh, January 6th to a lot of voters might feel like ancient history, frankly. And it doesn't seem certainly that the Republican Party minds that their candidate is uh, you know a full-throated backer of the armed and violent overthrow of the democratic core democratic process of, of uh, you know American democracy, which is the peaceful transfer of power. It's a you know it's astonishing turn in a sense that this is a guy who went, even wins a primary, um, being one of one of um, you know look he. He wasn't really a, a lead because he's not very charismatic. He wasn't sort of one of the leading voices of the seditious, you know, the sedition caucus, but he was a part of it. And the fact that nobody even really seems to care about that anymore is is troubling. And I, and I, I do think we're at um, right. a moment where where you've got a sort of authoritarian impulse on the rise in the United States and. Um, democracy, democratic processes being threatened. Um, to what extent anybody gives a hoot about that really is a question. Um, and, and that's the most terrifying thing of all. Yeah, it's terrifying. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a big part of the vote. Uh, this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're from the Express News Group. Our panelists today are David Rattray of the East Hampton Star, Michael Mackey from right here at WLIW, and Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. And David, I kind of want to stay on the political side. I want to talk about a story you did recently with the Star, I believe it was last week, um, about Lee Zeldin and his military record. Tell us what you found out and why it matters. Well, here's what's interesting about Lee Zeldin's military record. He has a terrific military record. It's just not the one he brags and campaigns about. Hmm. And um, so for, for years, uh, you know, Zeldin emerged. He was 28 years old when he first um, ran unsuccessfully for, for Congress. And he, he billed himself as a, a veteran uh, paratrooper from the 82nd Airborne and that he was on the front lines. And he's never really corrected that, although he's shifted away from the front lines claim over time. The truth is that he spent uh, three months maximum in Iraq during the summer of 2006 as a member of the Judge Advocate General Corps, which is basically military lawyers. Um, and he was a good one. He, he had promotions, he had commendations, but he was not the you know guns, guts, and glory vet that he liked to associate himself with. Um, now, yes, people say all politicians do it, and there's certainly people, uh, even in this election cycle, who straight up lied about their time. Uh, you know, whether whether the uh, guy in Ohio, Majerski, who's running for Congress, and and he said he was in Iraq and Afghanistan. It turns out he was stationed in Qatar. Um, and with Zeldin is, you know, I, I think it's kind of amazing in a sense, though, that nobody has really called him out for this, uh, not even veterans of the combat veterans of the 82nd Airborne. Um, you know, Democrats think he's a liar and Republicans think it's just fine. So we got uh, copies of Zeldin's military records, 70 some odd pages of them quite a while ago through a public records request that itself took quite a while. And for years, we didn't really want to do the story. He was a, a sort of backbench congressman. You know, everybody lies about their record. So, so what? But then once he starts running for governor, uh, our thought was it's time to really take a, a, a look at his record. And that's really the, the, the paradox is he has a good record. There's nothing for him to be ashamed of. And yet he pretends to be something that he is not. And we thought that was important to, to, bring out. And uh, it's actually interesting. He's got a lot of traction on Twitter of all places. I put the story out a couple of days ago and mm. it's been retweeted a ton. I mean, yes, by by sort of the anti-Zeldin Twitter world, which if, if you guess, if you haven't looked at uh, anti-Zeldin Twitter, it's kind of amazing. I think my favorite account is one called Lee Zeldin's Manhattan. And, you know, it's just, it's yeah. wonderful stuff. But, um, you know, predictable backlash from um, the Republican committee here in East Hampton who thinks it's reprehensible that we looked at his record and the left folks think it's terrific. So there you have it. I do know that it got it got some statewide traction as well. I saw it picked up on a couple of statewide political websites. And I, I think it's an area that that is an obvious area of attention for a candidate, especially in state. I mean, even for a candidate in 
for a congressional office, I think your military career is is fair game for sure. And uh, I was just intrigued. I think I think it's I think Lee Zeldin, and, and I said this early on in his campaign that his activities on January 6th weren't really being questioned as much as I thought they should have been by the state media, the mm. folks in Albany. Um, I think they've done a better job of that. New York Times certainly has been mm. talking about it um, in the last few months. But let me swing the conversation to Michael. Let's talk about the first district race. You said Lee Zeldin's going to win the first district as governor the the governor vote he's going to win the first district for sure well that would certainly suggest that nick lalota is likely to win the first district race as well is that your take on this well you're you bring up a point the first congressional district is reconfigured from uh, what it was during the last two presidential elections so it's a it's closer and uh, legislator Fleming uh, has a, a good shot of, of winning it or losing it. It sounds like it's, it seems to me it's very tight and it's very close. And once again, turnout will determine the outcome there. But we do know, that, I mean, I often talk to people about our, especially if they're from out of town, they want to know what's it like on Long Island. I told you what, in the, the, past, the past two presidential elections, uh, every white person west of the Shinnecock Canal voted for Trump. And it feels that way. But if you live in Bridgehampton or you live in East Hampton, you wonder, who are all these people that are voting for Trump? Because you don't run across them in the streets at the supermarket or or at the hair salon. So it's we're in our own little world sometimes, I think, here in the East End. It's paradise. But uh, outside, it's uh, rather turbulent. It's, as journalists, you guys do a terrific job, and I do my best to uh, to pluck from all the information you put out there. You do your due diligence in reporting what's going on uh, with uh, local politics and government. But when it comes to these uh, campaigns in recent years, I wonder, does it make a difference? You mentioned the New York Times. Great coverage. Uh, great stories in, in our local papers. Uh, the, Tim Bishop told me years ago uh, about uh, – about Zeldin's uh, record in, in Iraq, but I don't remember him uh, ever actually bringing it up in a debate. He just he just knew and, and stayed away from the subject. This I don't know that anything that's being reported actually will persuade people one way or the other. It, the, the, I wonder the, about that. I, 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 want, I wonder about that every year, whether whether if you held the vote and we have early voting now, of course, but I think you could hold the vote in July and it probably would be the same vote as in November, despite, you know, all the attention being paid. Um, I think people's political uh, choices are pretty baked in. Um, and I'm not sure there's there's a whole lot that we do to change that. Um, not that we should stop trying, but right. there are so many, there are some intelligent, informed people, and uh, they dismissed January 6th as, oh, they got a little out of control. The fact that the the, the congressman running for governor uh, en enabled it in, in his actions and or his lack of action and what he said is irrelevant to them. The, the, the end justifies the means. If your uh, MAGA agenda is very important, you don't care how you get there. You just want to see it fulfilled. And uh, I suppose on, uh, on the left, that there are people that feel the same way. But I don't I don't know how we all come together. And of course, many people are expressing um, some concern about the results uh, that uh, after November 8th, like, will the election be accepted 
by yeah. uh, for its results will be uh, will people act accordingly with the results and embrace and accept the the new leaders or those that are reelected or will they say it was a fraud and uh, I can't trust any politicians and I can't touch trust the uh, the calculations and the tabulations true 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 gifts of uh, former president uh, Donald Trump right I mean the 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 fake news mindset that we can't believe anything we read in in the papers or see on TV and all elections are fraud and we can't trust elections. And, and that's, that's his legacy. And, and, and that's, uh, that's fascism. That's what that is. That's fascism. Absolutely. It is. And the, One of the, the real big that, problem is it's not old news. It's happening right now. Yeah, yeah you know? I was going to say with the new polls, I think that's one of the really risky things is that if the polls right before the election suggest inaccurately that the race is closer and it ends up being not as close as they suggest mm. that will be more that'll throw fuel on the fire oh well all the polls said it was four points and it ended up being 10 um you know that's all because of of no it's just because of bad polling and and the limits of polling i think that's the one limits. of the concerns yeah. going back to the first district denise do you think i, I think it's going to be a close race but it's been a relatively quiet race so far it has been. Um, I think it, just by the nature of the district and the enrollment in the district, it'll be a close race. I think that um, Fleming has a better name recognition in the district. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure about the very far western reaches of it, but um, I don't think Lolota's got a great name recognition, but he's got party ID on his side, um, particularly in the western sections of the district um you know yeah david do you think this is going to come down to east versus west as happens so often in this this well, district certainly the fleming campaign uh believes and will tell you that they need you know near 100 turnout in the eastern portion of the district if they're going to have a chance to win and one of the factors about lolota name recognition versus fleming is that uh Lolota was at a cash deficit, uh, unable to keep pace with advertising with Fleming in the early going in the race. I think that has since narrowed and we'll see in, in the, the final uh, expenditure reporting. But, you know, there there is definitely, I think, an advantage for Lolota here and a, a pretty high hill for Fleming to climb. She's been incredibly active. Uh, I've been to a couple of her campaign events um, with Fred Thiel in particular, who seems to be going around with her, um, she's making a very compelling argument that democracy is on the line and that every single seat in the House of Representatives matters. I mean, national predictions are that the Republicans are going to pick up something on the order of 20 seats and we'll, we'll have a majority in the House. Um, nonetheless, I don't think that she's given up. She's, she's mounting a very aggressive campaign. And um, it's going to be very close re regardless. I do think it's conceivable that she might outpoll uh, Hochul in, in the first district. Um, That's an interesting point. And she's um, uh, got a strong message uh, um, and has been hustling and, and has had money to support it up, up to now. We do have a debate coming up next week um, with the two candidates, and I think it's been one of the really rare debates that's planned. I know the League of Women Voters debate in that race was canceled. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll do our best to try and ask some questions, give give people some guidance. 
Uh, it's really up to folks to get out and vote, uh, whichever way you're going to vote. Please, please make sure you do that. When is that uh, on, debate happening, Joe? When are you doing uh, uh, We're actually having the debate on Friday, Friday next week. Uh, it'll be live on Zoom. Uh, go ahead, Bill. And, and I was going to say that live on Zoom and, and uh, go to 27east.com for more information. We will be posting the video right. after the fact as Wonderful. well. So. I, I have a question. Do you think that the Suffolk County website will be back up in time? To get the election results, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, give us a recap, Denise. There, there, there was a there was a, a hack, and and the the county actually um, it's a ransomware attack, right? They they figured it out that th that this was happening apparently on uh, September eighth. The websites have been the website has been down. County systems have been down. All kinds of things have been all messed up including like some people have, you know, their phones are out. Uh, they had to reconfigure like the way they pay people uh, and contractors. People still can't search title, you know, title records in the town. It's really um, a mess. And uh, there, it, we were, as we were talking about earlier, there's been not a whole lot of information coming out about what, you know, even on, you can go to the county's website's URL and, you know, they, they advise people that, they had this problem and um, that the site's, the site's down basically, but in, here's what you should do. And they tell you basically to freeze your credit report. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? And then like you scroll down a little and there's a biography of Steve Ballone. Like that's like the most important thing to put out there is like his history. Like, yeah. I don't, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know, but um, let me let me ask you uh, this. I just wanted to, to Denise's uh, original point uh, um, or original question. So West Hampton Beach School District had to have they had a bond vote the other night and had to do the vote um, with hand counted paper ballots because the Board of Elections couldn't come in and do the vote for them um, because because of the hack, presumably. And um you know, I, I mean, you're only talking 300 votes there, but they had to count them all by hand. Imagine what happens if uh, if the voting machines aren't working. So now, yeah, what are the implications for that? And uh... the county has so far refused to pay, pay the ransom rate. And I'm, I'm I'm intrigued with these ransomware attacks. I think it's sort of cunning that the folks who do them say, well, what we want you to do is to pay us for showing you the shortcomings in your system. We're basically, uh, we're basically doing a service for you. So you pay us and we re-release your information to you. In, it's in, clearly- In, in Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it is, it is you know, clearly an illegal act, but the county, I know that municipalities all over the United States have decided to pay the ransom and they justify it, I think, in that way that, hey, if nothing else, it it pointed out our shortcomings, and but but the county hasn't agreed to do that, as far as I know, right? As far as we know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of information coming out of Hotbog about this. I, I yeah, know. that's really key. Is is this you know the the county you know gets an F for you know cybersecurity and maybe a D minus for communication? Yeah, it's really a mess. Uh, uh, Comptroller uh, Kennedy is hand writing checks to. Yeah. County vendors of different sorts and, and social service agencies. Uh, the Retreat, which provides um, domestic violence services throughout Suffolk County, is actually struggling and having to scramble to come up with the cash because the Suffolk uh, funding that they have depended on since they were founded uh, several decades ago, it just is not forthcoming. 
Uh, the other thing that, that Comptroller Kennedy points out, which I think is fascinating, is that the county knew that it had a vulnerability in that all of its systems were linked. And uh, of course, it's easy to, you know, for him to, uh, 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 you know, backseat drive. Uh, but but it is very clear. And I think we all know this, that government at, at almost every level, government computer systems are more archaic than newspapers computer system. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're using old like DOS based PCs, you know, for title search and you get five minutes on the computer and then they kick you out of the circuits court. Um, you know, this may be a wake up call that government services, and you know, it's not just government, hospitals have been vulnerable, um, but true districts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're using this ancient technology with, um, you know, who knows, maybe, you know, Elon Musk will buy the Suffolk County computer system and fix it all. <laughs> we can hope, right? And fire everyone. I know. And the fallout has been significant. As you said, I think title searches are suspended. We haven't been able to publish deeds for Sorry. several weeks. And uh, it's a, you know, I found it interesting. Steve Ballone uh, proposed adding some spending to the county budget for cybersecurity security and that would be the barn door closing after the horse got out bill i right. guess but it does need to be done clearly there needs to be some beefing up of that uh well, they need to get it fixed and working first i mean that first and foremost and i well, just, suffolk county board of elections if that's compromised we do have some trouble yeah. ahead yeah uh, and and it and it feeds into all of the narratives that we were talking yeah, about I, you know, exactly yeah no question this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Michael Mackey of WLIW, and David Rattray of the East Hampton Star. And David, a couple of East Hampton stories that we want to touch on. Uh, so can you explain to me, there was a ruling this week about East Hampton Airport, and it seems to have baffled everybody. Like nobody seems to quite understand what this ruling does. Wait, can, can you put it into some context? Yeah, it's it's actually a very narrow ruling. Um, that the, the 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 key question was whether East Hampton Town could essentially convert its airport uh, by closing it for less than two days from one classification to another, uh, and that would thereby give it control of who and when and what types of aircraft could come into the airport. Um, East Hampton Town was sued by a coalition of helicopter companies, as well as uh, people who lease hangars from the town at the airport and other interests. And the judge in the case um, is someone who seems to really have it in for East Hampton Town, but he raises a point which actually, you know, not getting too far into the weeds on this, but basically said before the town goes and changes the classification of the airport, it needs to do an environmental review under this archaic piece of state law called SECRA, the State Environmental Quality Review Act, which basically says you need to figure out how a significant project, public or private, is going to affect the environment. Um, East Hampton's position is, well, we don't know how it's going to affect the environment until we do the closure and see whether aircraft go to other airports and what the effects are there. The judge says, no good, you're gonna to have to do this environmental uh, assessment before you change the airport to this private but, class. 
cases. But David, it's already changed, isn't it? According to the FAA, the change is done, right? Uh, yes, it, the title of the airport has changed. So it used to be KHTO, now it's JPX. It was East Hampton Airport, now it's East Hampton Town Airport. However, East Hampton Town has not been able to impose the restrictions that it saw. That's the difference. So yeah, on paper, it has different call sign, but it's still operating the same way it did. The town, for example, wanted to limit the number of aircraft coming in to um, one, I think, coming in a day and one coming out, which is very much targeted against the helicopter companies. Now, jet travel largely could comply with that, whether it's private jets or something like a ride share, like net jets, those, those are going to come in, they're going to land, they're either going to be parked to wait for the oligarch to fly out, or if it's net jets, <laughs> in, yeah, I know, we, uh, all other subject. Um, you know, net jets going to come in and then it's going to take off for Aspen and then it's going to go to North Carolina and then, you know, who knows, it's going to go down to Florida. And so they, they bounce around so they can comply with that. The helicopters, coming out of New York City or coming out of uh, New Jersey and they're coming to East Hampton and they're flying back. And they might do this six or seven times a day. And that's what the town was trying to target. And that's what it can't do at the moment because of what uh, Judge Baisley has ordered. Um, the town has said it, it will appeal. Um, it could also go ahead and, and do an environmental uh, secret study, which might take years. Um, but there, there is this sort of growing sense like, well, with all this nonsense, if we can't even regulate our own airport in East Hampton Town, and, and in, in a sense, the people who are suing us are the ones who are determining uh. policy on our own airport, what the heck do we need an airport for? It used to be that really only a very, very limited fringe talked about shutting the airport altogether. Uh, now that's part of, uh, that's really something that's on the table. And um you know, I, I'm not going to, I would give even money uh, at the moment, whether that, that may happen. Wow. Really? And the ongoing court battle is not helping, right? I mean, it, this new limbo that the, the town is in with the airport appears to be, it's going to be in place for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, certainly uh, through the next busy season, I, I don't see uh, either an appeal or the environmental review being completed by next summer, say July 4th, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, so, you know, I think every month that goes by, um, more and more people just think, close the darn thing. Let's, let's yeah. build some housing there. What about a solar farm? You know, be the world's greatest dog run. <laughs> <laughs> what was the volume of traffic this past the summer of 2022? Was it up, down? It, it was up, yeah. Although one of the things is, you know, it's up from uh, covid uh, year statistics. Um, but it, it was very heavily used. Our, our offices here in East Hampton Village are directly under the, the jet flight path. And you couldn't step outside of our office without a jet coming overhead uh, nearly all the time, particularly mm -hmm. you know, the busy times of Thursdays and Fridays and then on Monday mornings. Um, you know, and it interesting. You're okay. talking about jets and, and yeah. not helicopters. Yeah, yeah. The helicopters don't come over the star, but uh, particularly, um, except I think Ira Rannertz does occasionally just for yucks. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so air traffic is up. And, and, you know, what's fascinating is the is the amount of air traffic that is not local pilots. That's not 
recreational pilots. It's just commuter, um, commuter travel. Yeah, yeah, it's super high end commuter, um, you know, very, very wealthy vacationers. Um, and I, I think there is a sense that it's really not important to most East Hampton voters. And, you know, I mean, the key thing about this, and I don't know that airport uh, advocates have ever really thought about it this much, but, you know, it would only take three votes on the town board to shut the airport. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mayor Daly in Chicago famously, uh, not that long ago, in the middle of the night, got a bunch of heavy equipment out and they dug up the, the airport that was on, on the lakefront in Chicago. Um, he was fined the maximum, which I think was $30,000 or the city was fine. You know, so yes, there would be a consequence if the town- There's an economic consequence, right? I mean, and the numbers vary by, you know, whoever, yeah. um, you know, conducted the study as to how right. much money that brings in, but it does right. bring in money to the town, right? Yeah, it, it, well, not so much, well, it, it the the- the to airport the economy, is anyway, to the, so it's not a drain on taxpayers as it is. And then there is economic activity uh, created by the airport. The numbers do vary. Um, I do think that in a place where real estate and kind of the landscape uh, industrial complex are the, are the big uh, uh, revenue generators here, that, you know, the effect of the lack of the airport would be minimal. Um you know, a friend of mine works for a landscape company and they just signed their first million dollar a year maintenance contract for a property. Um, that's just one company. So I think I think the scale of the effect of the airport closure would be negligible uh, within East Hampton Town. You know, look, it would be for the lawsuits if it was shut down also. Right. Somebody would sue the town of East Hampton sure. saying you can't shut the airport down. A lot of, lot of legal actions surrounding the airport and probably will be for years to come. Let's roll into a conversation, Bill, about the, the blinking lights program, because, you know, getting here by air is one way. But but obviously there's a ripple effect on the traffic and traffic has been an issue for years and years and years. Southampton Town is really aggressively trying to address this with a program to use cops and cones, which was a program that started in the 2004 U.S. Open. They're, they're sort of using a similar version of that now to move traffic in the mornings and afternoons. And, and we talked with uh, Charlie McArdle, who's the Southampton Town uh, Highway Department supervisor. Uh, what do you have to say? What's the plan? Well, they're, they're starting on, on Monday. They're doing a, a pilot program on County Road 39, where they're going to be implementing this for a week um, with the idea of they're, they're going to be collecting numbers. They have uh, they hired a consultant to look at how many cars are, are going to be affected and all that. And and basically, it, it takes on the same um, the same style that they've been using at Canoe Place Road off and on in Hampton Bays for um, maybe close to a year. I, I don't know. So basically, the idea is if, if you turn the traffic lights to blinking lights instead of stop and go red and green lights that you keep traffic moving on a roadway. And in Hampton Bays, they're doing that with Montauk Highway. In order to do that though, then you have to control turns on and onto and off of the road. So, so what they do at Canoe Place Road, people coming up Canoe Place Road, and, and these are, are people who have typically 
trying to find a shortcut through Hampton Bays, maybe driving on Dune Road the whole way and then up and then trying to, you know, uh, cut over. So, so they're controlling that turn. So they've created two lanes uh, going eastbound, a through lane that, that goes um, eastbound through that intersection. And then people coming up Canoe Place Road, they created a, a right turn lane so that there's no stopping at a red light. Just if you're turning, you're, you're turning. And they're also preventing people coming down Newtown Road from being able to do as as I will admit, I used to do a kind of a, a U-turn at the light. There is is kind of a shortcut. <laughs> no, it was it was perfectly legal. You can do U-turns there, but it it certainly tied up traffic. And um, according to Charlie, that's been really successful. And he counted cars one day, and and you're talking about thousands of people saving a half an hour off their their commute in the morning. So the idea is that this coming week in the pilot, um, they're going to do um, um, they're they're going to continue the Canoe Place Road. They're also looking at intersections on County Road 39, Tuckahoe Road intersection, McGee Street, Saint and Saint Andrews Road at Montauk Highway and uh, Station Road and Montauk Highway in Watermill, where they're going to do the same blinking lights. They're going to have uh, police officers there to help control traffic, and they're going to limit and they're going to limit turns on onto and off of County Road 39 and Montauk Highway um, in order to keep the traffic moving. I think the interesting one is the Watermill one. I think it'll be interesting to see if that has an effect. I I, I think it is. It's it's going to be interesting, and I, I don't know how much you're going to be able to tell in a week. Um, if people don't know that this is happening necessarily, I, I think, you know, um, uh, you know, it, you're going to capture the trade parade, but, you know, you're not capturing summer traffic. And Charlie said that, too, that that maybe they'll try to do another pilot in, in, in the springtime. But basically, the idea is you've got these two two east west east west roads. And if you keep the traffic moving through the east west roads, then people who are using all these side streets and turning onto these roads onto County Road 39 and Montauk Highway, that that people will then say, all right, well, if the traffic's moving, then I don't need to use these shortcuts, which irritate neighbors and, and slow down traffic. And then you have these lights and you have these long lines of traffic. If the traffic's moving, people will use the routes and and they will you know cut down on on the shortcuts. It's an interesting idea. It's an expensive one, and you know, yeah. and, and the big the big issue is, um, you know, they they had tried you know a couple of these intersections before and had to stop because the county came in and there was a permit issue. Um, but the county also said if you're going to turn the traffic lights off, then you have to have an actual police officer, not a traffic control officer at the intersection to help in case there's you know any any issues with with traffic and you know and that's just going to cost the police department a lot of money i think it was was it um sixty thousand dollars a week eighty thousand dollars a week something something like that i don't have the number right in right in front of me um for the police officers to be at these intersections so i i think the thinking is that that yeah, there's going to have to be if, if they decide to implement this permanently, then the police department will have to take a look at that and maybe um, 
figure out through reassignments, hiring some new officers, maybe recreating. They used to have a, a traffic division in the police department. They don't necessarily have that anymore, that you could hire some officers to do this in the morning and then maybe uh, check truck weight in the afternoon or do some other assignments, um, that type of thing. But it would probably result in a little bit of a tax increase for, for some people. Um, I have it's, to say, it's so been I, effective I did, though, right, Bill? I mean, so, I, so yeah. I so when they first blocked me from doing that, <laughs> that U-turn <laughs> on Montauk Highway, and I was really upset for for a while because I felt like it was going to slow me back down again. But I I do have to admit, I'm a I'm a convert. Um, you know, I I started so I, I get on Montauk Highway a little further west than that because i'm coming down from riverhead a flanders road and i still do you know a, a a back run through you know through old uh old country road there where the you know the police station is and all that but i get on montauk highway a little further west and i'll tell you i shoot through the intersection i mean where years ago you'd be backed up for you know for you know 10 cycles of the light or or whatever and now you just shoot through because it's, it's I, I, everything and you go I have to tip my hat to Charlie McArdle because for years and years we've talked about this and nobody really was willing to take on such a big problem. And, and he's been willing to do that. And I know that we have a conversation with him uh, that's, that's on our podcast, 27 speaks uh, that's coming up in a week or so. Um, so that's something. he really took the bulls bull by the horns. Um, I, I think. And, and um, I admire that. I mean, you know, I mean, so much in government is let's talk about it, let's study, let's this, let's that. And he just said, let's do it. And and he did. And he had to take a couple steps back because the county got involved and got mad, um, you know, that he didn't have permits or, or whatever. And but that this wouldn't normally be, I think, uh, the highway superintendent's role. I mean, you always consider the highway department as the guys that go fix the potholes and the guys that pick up the leaves and, and not yeah. the guys that are out there directing traffic and turning off stoplights and, and trying to improve stuff. And he, you know, when he ran last year for superintendent, he, that was part of his campaign that he was going to fix the traffic. And you know what, maybe he will. And we'll start a new, a new effort on Monday. That's all the time we have on, on the headlines. Thank you to David Rattray of the East Hampton Star, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Michael Mackey of WLIW. And thank you also to my co-host, Bill Sutton. I'm Joe Shaw. We'll see you here again next week on Behind the Headlines. Thanks, guys.